I want to ask, have you recovered? Oh, from my, you mean my... You had a run-in with, with a venomous insect. I sure did. How should we tell the story? Well, so we started by having some friends over, backyard garden party, except it was all Korean barbecue. So we set up, it, it was like a, like a pop-up restaurant. The grills, all the panchan, all the meats you could want. I, I, Just a beautiful nighttime Something about grilling your own meat meal. makes you capable of eating a hundred times more meat. Yeah. And yeah, we were having a great Korean barbecue in Brett's yard. And I'm sitting in a seat on the end. And they and you know whatever it's what fifty five degrees outside. Yeah, I mean, chilly. Chilly. We were keeping warm from the charcoal grills. And I noticed in the corner of my eye, like before we even start cooking, this wasp standing on the like top of like the, the back of your chair, the back right? of my chair. I hate when I see things out of my periphery, and, you're just and like, it's what like the fuck is that? Yeah, because it feels like even if it's not sneaking up on me, it kind of feels like it is because I didn't like directly invite it, center line Ind- of sight. Like there's a wasp, right? No, I had no idea what it was. I just saw something crawl or like move vaguely, mm. and I was just like sprung up, and then I looked back and I was like, "Oh my god, Brett, there's a wasp!" And Brett goes full Rambo on this wasp because, according to Brett, wasps have no well, purpose. Well, I'll say it. wasps <laughs> are pollinators. Okay, so pollinators are important, right? But I'm a beekeeper, so when it comes to keeping bees, wasps will enter beehives and just rob their hard-earned and hard-stored resources by way of honey and nectar. And you know, far be it from me to take a life but when it's something that threatens my hundred thousand babies blow torch them not in my back fry them to a crisp so he literally yeah. torches this wasp what a way to die dracaris <laughs> dracaris it was full-blown dracaris mm-hmm. sorry i'm not i'm only proficient in valerian so, it's you, not know, valerian. you can actually study that on duolingo no way I valerian is a course on duolingo that's sick actually wow George R. R. Martin, man, he really, he makes James Cameron, I think, look like a putz. Talk about world building. Right. Are you going to see the new Avatar, by the way? Probably. Not in theaters. I'm still to the point where, like, I'm not, it's not even so much that I'm, like, afraid of COVID anymore, because, like, I've gone, you know, knock on wood, hand over heart, crucifix over my body. But, you know, I, I haven't contracted covid yet just because i still am like double masking when i go grocery shopping i wear lab goggles you know just like my skin is always dry from using alcohol wipes I'm sorry. things like that i you wear lab goggles when you grocery shop yeah because if covid still? is airborne it can land on your eyes and you can contract it that way so when you say you're not afraid of contracting covid you mean you're terrified <laughs> no i just take i like have been reading the research papers since day one do your own research and folks. watching the data from respected virologists who have been doing the work far before COVID ever actually showed up on the scene and I take their advice I put it into practice and it works so all that to say (laughs) I don't think I'll be going to a theater anytime soon not because of COVID I think I just enjoy the comfort of being at home watching on my own projector yeah and also not feeling the need to like withhold having a LaCroix or something because right. I don't want to miss 10 minutes of the movie having to like get up, pause, find the bathroom, pee. come back. Yeah, I can just literally like have the experience I want to have. I'm yeah. all about like curated experiences mm, now. But theater, I, I never was into movie theaters before. Mm. And now I sort of am. Like 
I don't know. Suddenly I'm having like a renaissance with movie theaters where I'm like, wait, there's something like super cute about like getting this shitty fucking popcorn and a fountain soda and sitting in this like space that's like public and dark and you're around other people and you're all enjoying the movie together and they're all strangers and, and the movie screen is big. Like, I don't know. I now romanticize movies, I guess, a little bit more than I used to. But I don't think I will see Avatar. This is all to say. Really? I'm just like not interested in that story anymore. You don't want to see like reverse aged CGI Sigourney Weaver? I don't think so. I mean, like, I love Sigourney Weaver, but I just... The plot and any extension of it just seems, like, kind of... Avatar in general or just this new one? Avatar in general. Oh, wow. Like, I feel like it was really edgy for its time. Sure. 2008. But now it's, like, 2000... Like, so much has gone down since then. Like, you can't tell me that I'm going to have the same penchant for you know that type of story or that type of cgi Mm -hmm. or whatever like i don't know it's just not what i'm looking for but anyways what happened with this wasp that you saw that just like showed up on the back of your chair so brett sizzles it and and i think that's the end of it right like i mean we all saw it die we watched well and i stepped on it for good measure and (laughs) because i didn't also want my dogs to come out and like step on it and then you know be like could you get stung by a dead amber herds dog stepping on a bee you know like i didn't want that to happen wait what do you mean amber herds dogs that was like part of the trial where like she not making any commentary on the trial but like that was like one of the like memed moments where she's like crying and her dog stepped on, on a, a bee, bee. Wait, or I something do like remember that. that yeah so it just got memed the house and so that's why i know it got it well okay so i you know go on with my korean barbecue mm-hmm. grilling dipping rolling eating and sure enough you know a few hours go by and getting ready to leave standing up you know shooting the shit saying bye almost because you had planned to go to a drag show so like you were yes. leaving us to go see yes a, a drag, drag show, show downtown and so i was about to go see a drag show and then suddenly i feel something sting my knee and your pants were kind of like they weren't like they were jeans yeah they weren't like like skinny fitted like no. they were like really were, nice like a like a loose like leg a wide kind leg of, yeah jean yeah and i feel something like prick my knee and I, no. i'm like oh fuck and i think in my mind like i've been bit by like maybe a termite again Mm -hmm. or by like a like an earwig or something that like pinces you and i literally unbutton unzip pull down my pants take off my shoes and just like get out of my pants because i was just like so sure that like something had bit me sure and then i'm like looking and like i'm looking and i just like don't see anything and then you know brett and co is like are you sure it wasn't just like maybe like a hair like pricking you i was like maybe like i was really beginning to gaslight myself into thinking that actually maybe what i felt wasn't that bad and it was all in my mind and it's just you know sometimes when your clothes like stick to you weird like i was just like maybe you're right so i reached down to put my pants back on and boom i get stung a second time no and now this time this is what was crazy i couldn't believe like it was crazy enough that like it happened in the first place but then also if you think something is in your pants that's biting you or stinging you who reaches their hand into the darkness of the pants well i thought that i was just like you know at at that point i was like yourself yeah i was like whatever there's nothing in there like i'm I'm, maybe i am stupid so i reach and then boom i feel i feel again stung and so then i just run run away i was just screaming because then i knew i was like no 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 there's something fucking there and i saw out of the corner of my eye like something move and that's when and i couldn't even look at it second wasp flew out of your pants yes it literally which was promptly stepped on i was stung twice 
I just can't get over that it crawled up your pant leg. I know. And so I my theory is that there must have been a couple of wasps, maybe a family of wasps. Or living. like trying to start a family. <laughs> so sad dash those dreams uh we i I think they were probably like living under the seat because i have known a wasp in my life that lived under a seat Mm. or a chair they like it under there cozy but it's like i was just sitting in the chair it wasn't bothering them the fact that it crawled all the way up my fucking pants it probably just liked that you were warm and it only stung you because it like sensed that the walls were literally closing in as your jeans started to move when you started to move and it's crazy because they can sting more than once they really can yeah unlike honeybees they don't lose their stinger so it just (sighs) gave it to you why did god decide you know what honeybees you get one sting and that's it but you know the rest of you have at it have at it free for all like why yellow jackets especially yeah i feel lucky that it was just you know not a hive of uh, yeah but still or anywhere more sensitive than like your knuckle or your knee if it's in your pants that could have been really bad oh yeah so scary oh my skin's kind of crawling gross. now even thinking about it yeah it was disgusting I, and i just like the whole night after that felt like there were more bees in my clothes but yeah, there weren't but yeah i i'm a survivor i got stung twice last night you guys you're very brave and i'm proud to say i'm not allergic yeah that's good to know yeah That's always one of those things, too, because, like, I was never stung by honeybees growing up. And only when I started keeping honeybees, like, you know, naturally you get, like, a sting every, you know, couple of months as just, like, randomly something happens. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, no, am I about to die? Right. I've never really been stung by a honeybee before. Am I about to go into anaphylaxis? Here we go. You know, pop some Benadryls just to be safe, which, by the way, did you have the best sleep of your life last (laughs) night? Brett gave me two Benadryls. I'll tell you, I won't name who, but I had a family member who loved to take a Benadryl before bed. And I actually, it's not great for you. Like, No, long term, it's terrible Long term, it's very bad, right? Yeah. What does it affect? Long term, I don't don't know what it can affect maybe like neurologically or like by way of organs, but like you definitely can become sleep dependent on Mm. it so that like, if you ever like stop taking it the sleep and like the sleep regularity just goes out the window right and anything like that i'm like no not that you know what this person noticed and i thought honestly i was like i think it's connected to the benadryl they would be like oh will you fill up my computer or like fill up my computer as they hand you a glass yeah like they would just say like the wrong word and then they'd be like i mean glass you think that's early onset something else? Who knows? That's crazy. I, but I think it was connected to the Benadryl. I mean, when wow. when they cut out the Benadryl every night, I think it really did reduce in frequency that Man. sort of like word. There must be a word word for doing that where you like say the wrong word yeah. in the wrong context. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyways, so I am very wary of like Benadryl code or Benadryl dependency. Yeah. But taking two Benadryl every now and then. But when you actually need it. Was kind of nice. She does her job. She does her job. Benny does what she's supposed to do. And I mm-hmm. slept hard. That's a great drag king name. Benny Drill. Okay. Which you would have gotten to see last night yes. had that wasp not I wish I had been able to go. Your knee. My friend went. She, she said it was great. But yeah, I've never been to a drag king performance. I've never been to a drag show where it was specifically just drag kings, but right. I've seen drag king performances. Were you impressed? 
yeah, always. Like transforming yourself into a character and exuding like full different type of energy than like you live your day-to-day life with where like the performance is like transported and like even if I know the person as like whoever they are in the daily life but then when the drag king or the drag queen shows up on stage it's like the person that I know doesn't even actually exist anymore because they're that this person is here now and like that's fascinating so true yeah it's like the highest form of theater I feel like I agree totally agree well it's kind of a big episode today but it's a great episode oh it's a great chapter it's literally the titular chapter let's do it roll tape roll tape start two one booster mission and lift off of this are listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. I'm Brett. And on this week's episode, we're exploring Chapter 16, The Three-Body Problem. Wang is back in the real world, and he is about to find out the danger around him is more real now than ever. And spoiler alert, someone's getting murdered. Energy unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. All systems go. Interference monitor unit reporting. With an acceptable range. Begin transmission. Chapter 16 is called The Three-Body Problem. We already know that, like, the game takes place in a world that's called Three-Body. Right. But before we get into the ins and outs of the story, does the name Henri Poincaré mean anything to you? Mm. A French name? Henri Poincaré. Poincaré. No. Okay, well, it's about to. Sources for today's episode include the Wikipedia on Henri Poincaré and the heavily utilized engines of our ingenuity from the University of Houston. First off, I want to tell you just a little bit about this man, Henri Poincaré. Also, if you're wanting to play a drinking game, take a sip of whatever beverage, turmeric shot, turmeric latte, hard cider of your choice every time I say Poincaré because you might not even make it to the end of the episode. Oh my god. I love the idea of someone at home playing a drinking game listening to our podcast the science history and book talk college frats all around america play our podcast yep. at their mixers yep. so drink okay, up so okay. henri poincare yes there's another one renowned in many different fields he's going to come up a little bit later in the story but it's kind of important i think that we understand a little more about the actual man that's referenced in this fictional story mm-hmm. I, I feel like it gives really good context to sort of like understand sort of like where the character is coming from their headspace but then also have an appreciation for the story a little bit more mm-hmm. from the wikipedia jules Henri. Poincaré, born April 29th, 1854, died on July 17th, 1912, also the same year as the Titanic, was a French, okay, get ready to count these titles he held, Okay. a French mathematician, theoretical physicist, uh-huh. engineer, yes. and philosopher of science. Okay. So highly accomplished, very renowned across all of these fields, some overlap in them, but like also kind of across the board, like different applications, like the man was very smart. Renaissance man. He's often described as a polymath, rightfully so, and in mathematics as 
quote, the last universalist, hmm. since he excelled in all fields of the discipline as it existed during his lifetime. So pretty much like when he lived any area of science, he was a master of any of them. That's hot. I love a universalist. Like, I think that's my dream is, you know, that I'll never achieve. But like to know a lot about every sort of branch of science and, and math. And maybe so also can... to exist before like, what's it called? Imposter syndrome? Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like this man even no. knew that that existed kind of thing. Hot. So he's extremely accomplished. Okay. He was known for the formulation of, drumroll, chaos theory. Heard of it? Yes. It's come up before. Like, in case you guys listening don't remember, chaos theory states that within the apparent randomness of chaotic complex systems. So, for example, think, like, you know how a pendulum swings just, like, back and forth? Mm -hmm. There's a type of pendulum called a chaotic pendulum, okay. which, if you can imagine it as, like, two straight sticks that hang down, but in the center of the sticks is a joint, very much like your elbow. So when it swings, it's not just going in, a, in an arc back and forth. It's swinging and making all these really strange shapes because of the bottom is picking up extra momentum and swinging in these really strange loop-de-loops and sort of like patterns that don't really repeat itself ever because it's chaotic whoa so with that chaos theory says that within a system like that that by its nature is chaotic that there are underlying patterns interconnection constant feedback loops and repetition self-similarity fractals mm -hmm. which is a mathematical formula that shows up literally the universe across all the way down to like certain types of cauliflower i mean like everywhere fractals are everywhere and self-organization the butterfly effect okay an underlying principle of chaos theory describes how a small change in one state of a deterministic nonlinear system can result in large differences in a later state. Right. We all know the movie. Yeah. Meaning that Crash. there is a really sensitive dependence on initial conditions. Right. You do, you know, I, I drink this seltzer with my left hand and as a result you know russia doesn't drop a bomb on one city in whomever yeah. yeah whatever so that is just one of his accomplishments then in 1905 i mean this is just seven years before he passed so i mean he was doing things that were to notable literally right up until the end in 1905 he proposed that accelerated masses and a relativistic field theory of gravity should produce gravitational waves okay so when obviously when i say accelerated masses just think like planets or stars that are moving within space time okay they should produce gravitational, gravitational waves okay got it which ironically enough einstein was skeptical of lol like when he put this idea forward einstein was like mm, i Prove don't it. know about that but this theory was actually later proven to be true when it was directly observed in 2015 oh so like they were indirectly observed and still further theorized and given more credence that they existed before this point in 2015 but in 2015 is the moment where they were actually directly witnessed by scientists and they're like oh my god Poincaré was so right okay so that's two like blue ribbon things that he's known I mean like the list goes on and on and on but these are just some of my personal favorites of him then he's also known for a little mathematical problem known as the three body problem oh no way which exists in orbital mechanics he came up with it yeah so it basically well he didn't come up with it we'll get there it exists in orbital mechanics as a way to try to describe 
describe the motion of three celestial bodies. Right. But it also tries to predict, based on their motion, where any of these three bodies will be at any given time. Right. The three-body problem is part of a larger mathematical problem, which we've also posted about on our TikTok. If you haven't seen it, I would highly encourage you to go check us out there at Radar Peak Pod, where we talk about the n-body problem. And from Andrew Boyd at the University of Houston, Poincaré had stumbled upon something with the three-body problem that really nobody at the time fully appreciated, even himself to some extent. Years after working to try to solve the three-body problem, he later reflected that, quote, small differences in where the three bodies start may produce very great differences in where they finish, Mm. so that prediction becomes impossible. Hmm. Poincaré was the first to recognize the so-called butterfly effect, like we just talked about, Mm -hmm. that sometimes just the simple flap of a butterfly's wings can completely alter the future in ways that we can't even fully comprehend. Neither Poincaré or his immediate successors ever gave this phenomenon a name, and it was considered more of a nuisance in the field of study because it was such a like an existential head scratcher that nobody really seemed to be able to make heads or tails of it ultimately. But that would all change when meteorologist Edward Lorenz wrote a paper on weather prediction in 1963. Okay. He argued that weather cannot be accurately predicted for more than a few days in advance. Because you think about it, even now, when we get meteorology yeah. reports on the news, you mostly see to like the end of the week. Ten but, days max. Yeah, but by like the next two, three days, those predictions have sometimes totally completely changed. changed. Right. He argued that because weather couldn't be accurately predicted. It is really interesting that we actually, as advanced as we are, can cannot predict the weather accurately seems like a element of chaos theory for sure yeah and so by edward lorenz making this paper known that it's kind of futile to try to predict the weather accurately more than just a couple days out it really brought the butterfly effect to the full attention that it deserved by giving rise to a new field which we now know is chaos theory so Mm -hmm. like full circle all these ideas sort of like over the generations started to finally distill 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 and get refined and finally Finally, they have names and attributions to them. So that's a lot. Wow. There's your Science Wednesday history lesson for today. But I do want you to file it away because we're going to come back to it and it plays a part in today's story. Okay, sick. If you remember from last week, Wang's in his V-suit. He just learned about Trisolar Day. He revealed the basic structure of the three-body universe. I mean, after all the trying, he finally advanced the game to level two. So like he's actually making some little bit of progress. Pretty exciting. But this week... Wang logs out of the game and the phone rings. Dasha is on the line and he's like, hey, buddy, uh, it's urgent. You have to come down to my office like right now. Uh-oh. So Wang takes off his V-suit. He gets ready. He hops in the car and he drives to Dasha's office. And when he arrives at the criminal division to see Dasha, the office is exactly how he expects to find it. Like very so much in, yeah, like very much in Dasha's style, the office is a chaotic tangle of clutter, like stacks of papers, just like everywhere very different from like trump's oval office i would say like the complete opposite hanging low across the room is dasha's wait sign- was trump's oval office like notoriously spotless it was empty the man <laughs> there was, was never there it. was nothing ever on the desk it, it literally it just looked like show. they were staging like a photo shoot for like the apprentice or right. something got it like he could have been on a set for all i know like it didn't look like any work was happening that checks out but i also kind of do think of the oval office as like a set for the president 
to act like he's doing stuff. Sure, but right? I want to see like legislation stacks. I want to see executive yeah. order folder, like any of that stuff. True. Even if they're props. Does, does the president wake up every morning and go to work? I guess. You hope. But like they don't really like sit down and like Trump reportedly read. just watched TV every day. I don't feel like presidents read. Obama read. So very much industrious style. The office is just a chaotic tangle of clutter right. stacks of paper memos everywhere ashtrays and stack. hanging low all through the room is dasha's signature cigarette smoke cloud that just like literally follows him everywhere at Basking this point in the ambiance dasha's like oh wang how's it going let me introduce you and then there's this woman officer who's sharing the office with dasha and she's introduced as shu bing bing now shu bing bing is a computer specialist from the information security division so Hi. like think maybe like the person targeting like cyber criminals or like right. recovering stolen bitcoin or i don't know something like that so they get their pleasantries out of the way and wang notices there's somebody else in the room with him mm. and he looks over and he's surprised to see blast from the past uh wei cheng Remember him? Hardly. Shen Yufei's husband from the night that Wang went over and like pulled up and found her playing in the V-suit. Wow. And that's a character I thought that I would never see again. Wei Chang's hair is a mess. And when Wang makes eye contact with him, he appears to not even remember that they had met before. Like he's just fully, either fully absent or like something has happened that's made him just be sort of like blank faced. Okay. A shell. Dashu gets to the reason why he called Wang here at three in the morning, which also like if somebody calls you at three in the morning are you just like happy jumping in your car like rushing over immediately i mean you better tell me what i'm coming there before i get there and dasha's like wang i need your help i've had something come up that i haven't even taken to the battle command center about yet and i want your advice first Mm -hmm. so i'm like oh this sounds like maybe like backdoor dealings dasha turns to wei chang and he's like okay i want you to tell wang everything that you just told me and with this like frozen look on his face Wei says my life is in danger Ooh. and i'm like okay go on all right and dasha's like easy easy buddy don't give away the ending start at the beginning <laughs> and Wei's like okay but you asked for it don't complain if i'm long-winded because you want the story you better settle in and buckle up because it's not a quick little anecdote so wei chang starts at the beginning i was born on a cold december night in 1974 no i'm just kidding not actually i mean well kind of kidding he's like okay let me set the stage for you i've been lazy kind of since i was a kid like when i was in boarding school i never wanted to do chores i never washed my dishes i never made my bed i never got excited about anything i just sort of like flew by the seat of my pants with no sights of a bigger picture no goals it's honest nothing it's not attractive but it's honest but as lazy as Wei was he knew he was different from the other students mm-hmm. he knew that he had these talents that like none of his other classmates had like if somebody drew a line on a piece of paper he could just like from memory take a pencil and draw another line that bisected it exactly at the golden ratio we love that by memory he knew he had the special affinity for numbers and geometry even though admittedly his math grades were terrible and then one of Wei's teachers kind of takes special notice in him because like he kind of like notices like this kid is special he's like maybe operating on a little higher wavelength let me see what i can do here 
teacher. And so he learns with the help of this teacher that his brain is just like super powered. One day after class, when this teacher just sort of like rapid fire asks him questions about different mathematical formula he knows, he just like is able to really quickly rattle off the answers, almost like he doesn't even have to think about it. Like mm. they're just programmed into his brain to just be able to recall things super instantly. Damn. But then when the teacher asks him like, okay, how do you know that answer? It takes him a long while to sort of like sit and really think about, okay, well, how, how do I know that answer i know i know it i know it's right but why do i know it's right and so this teacher figured out that this kid must be really special and he's like your brain derivation or how you arrive at the right answer is just off the charts way's able to just like intuitively know the answers to things before he's even logically thought step by step to arrive at the answer and so his teacher asks him he's like when you think about a string of numbers how does it make you feel which i thought was an interesting question because wasn't it yang dong who talks about mathematical formula and scientific theories and she talks about them as being like beautiful expressions right so i was like oh that's interesting that this comes up and the answer way gives was pretty interesting he's like well when i think Think of a string of numbers, I just envision a three-dimensional shape. That's how they appear to me. A little synesthesia. Yeah, like a little bit of mathematical synesthesia Mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. And the teacher's like, okay, numbers equal shapes for you. Cool, 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 cool. What happens when you see geometric shapes? He's like, does it go the opposite way? Like, what? how does that work? And Wei's like, well, yeah, actually, it is the complete opposite. I see numbers. Yeah, like, if I'm starting with a shape in my mind, only numbers exist. I can kind of see that one more because, like, you know, you can see, like, the, the, the angles of each point. Especially if it's three-dimensional, yeah, right? Yeah, I could see a shape being numbers. Less so can I see numbers being shapes, but... I'm not Wei Chang. Yeah. And Wei describes it to his teacher. He's like, it's kind of like if you get up too close to a photo in the newspaper, Mm. like you don't see the whole picture, but you do see the individual dots printed that make up the picture. Pretty sick. So that's kind of what I see when I think about shapes specifically. Okay. And so at this point, the teacher is like highly interested, like suspicions confirmed. This kid is obviously brilliant. Fast tracked him to college. I mean, he's like hooked on how his brain works. Wei is clearly a brilliant thinker but the teacher obviously knows his grades and his grades are poor and the teacher is like well i feel like he can't really apply himself in a traditional sense like he maybe needs like different kind of like special structure for like very intellectually gifted students or something Mm -hmm. and so he's like way i've seen minds like you people with your level of skill never really cherish their talent they just like have it and they don't really like appreciate it for what it is right but i want you to sign up to compete in the upcoming district math competition okay he's like because i think you could do really well but the teacher is like i'm not gonna tutor you i understand how you work and i understand how you do in a class setting and it would be a waste of both of our time for me to try to sort of like sit with you and go through flashcards and like whatever the fuck else you do to prepare for a math competition right but the one thing you have to do when you compete you must write out your derivations and show how you arrived at your answers Mm. so at his teacher's suggestion way signs up officially becomes a mathlete i was just envisioning the scene in mean girls the limit does not exist i know i just thought of that and he attends the competition and round after round way just competes and advances and advances and advances all the way from the district level up to the international finals in Budapest where he places first. Sick. And so he comes back home laden with like medals and trophies and he's greeted by an offer from the top mathematical university to join their program. And like 
obviously by competing, he's already proven himself brilliant. So the university is just like, it can be our little secret, but you don't have to go through the entrance examinations if you don't want to. Like, just come join us. Right. Wink, wink, nudge, mm-hmm. nudge. And so then Wei says to Wang and Dasha and everybody else in the room that basically throughout all of his degrees, all the way up to his PhD level, he never really applied much, if any, effort into receiving them. They just sort of like came so naturally to him that he never really had to try. Which like, imagine that, just like waking up in the morning and by the time you go to sleep at the end of the year, you've gotten a PhD. Insane. You never had to like break a sweat or have an existential crisis or anything. I always wanted to have like a photographic memory. Yeah, same. But also I feel like it would be, I don't know. I feel like there's bad with the good. Of course. There's sacrifices. Yeah. We're like, do you have room for anything else? No probably not like what's i wonder what the thought process if any of you guys have photographic memories i really am curious by what does your internal monologue feel like when your brain literally is able to store every bit of information and just recall it at will yeah i wonder so basically wei chang is basically has i mean he i don't know that he has a photographic memory but he is quite the he's got something, something. because like if he's if he's studying the theorems that are able to help him arrive at the right answers when they're like complex mathematical formula he would know the reasoning to be able to write out without having to like sit and really like rack his brain of like why do i know this is true because he'd studied it but he's admittedly extremely lazy right so i kind of get the impression that like not only did he not apply himself in like being a human is like taking care of his room at boarding school like da 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 but like maybe he also didn't study but was just very naturally gifted at being able to know almost like a like an intuition kind of thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. somehow he was able to like figure it out because he won at the international competition jealous that's all I'm saying. When Wei graduated from college, with it, finally, with his PhD, he gets back into the real world and, like, really quickly, he's recognizing this, like, cognitive dissonance that he wasn't really aware of while he was in school. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in school, it's like, you're in a bubble. It's the real world, like, in air quotes, but, like, not really. Right. And pretty quickly, he learns that, oh, I'm useless. Like, he's great on paper. Right. Look at all these accomplishments. Look right. at all these awards. Look at all, like, the things that he can do without even really having to apply any effort. But when when it comes to application he's sort like, of a one trick pony i'm not worth anything <laughs> like at this point all he knows is math right. he doesn't know anything about interpersonal relationships applied science or even like how to be a human it seems like he's right. just this like walking Calculator. breathing computer and when he graduated it just sort of like caught up with him and he's like kind of having a crisis on mm. that front he winds up getting a job teaching at a university and while he's teaching he could barely be bothered to put any effort into teaching the class Mm. he'd write a problem up on the board which obviously for him was super easy to solve and he would literally write beside the problem like easy to solve and he would underline it and he would just sort of like leave the students out in the intellectual waters just drowning actively and like unable to understand the logic behind his answers because like they're there to learn but he can't be bothered to teach them right so eventually when the university started calling underperforming professors he he got got the chop that makes sense. They definitely had professors like that where it's like, you know, they're geniuses, but like they're just not good teachers. Maybe it's because they have tenure or maybe they maybe. don't have tenure, but they're not being paid enough. Like, Or they're just really knows? don't. Yeah, it's just they're, it's too easy for them yeah. to even comprehend someone not understanding, you know? 
Yeah. Anyway. And so by this point, losing his way, not knowing how to connect to anything or anybody, and just having lost his job, he's pretty sick of everything. So he packs a bag, and he has his very own eat, pray, love moment, and he heads out into the mountains deep in southern China and moves into a Buddhist temple. Speaking of eat, pray, love, I saw Bones and All this weekend. How was that? It was really bad. I did not like it at all. I thought it was bad and slow and boring and Mm -hmm. disgusting, but like not in like a way that was satisfying. But why I bring it up is like in the one of the last scenes of the movie, Uh Timothy Chalamet, spoiler alert. Can I spoil it? You can spoil it. I'm not going to see it. Is getting eaten by his like girlfriend essentially he's being eaten well they both are but but oh. he gets hurt and he's like just eat me bones and all <sighs> and it was so bad it wasn't there was no chemistry between them like i didn't find it romantic but yeah i think there was it was supposed to be romantic and like a you know a tragic love story but he timothy chalamet totally improved one line that like the director just kept and it's like kind of subtle but i heard it and i was like oh my god that's actually the funniest line in the whole movie oh my god what was it basically as he's getting eaten he's like it's eat pray love but it's love pray eat <laughs> and i was just like i'm positive that timothy chalamet like that wasn't in the script that, that was yeah. not in the script you could just tell like all the lines were just not like that he so said it, it just... knowing it was going to be a meme yeah got it i mean i don't know i don't know if other people but Anyways, let us know what you thought of that movie. That's kind of amazing. Oh shit. Anyways, well, back away having his actual eat, pray, love yes. moment. He's moved into this Buddhist temple deep in the mountains in southern China, and in the story, as Wei is retelling it, he's like, "Don't get it twisted. I didn't go to this temple to become a monk or anything. Like, don't forget. Like, I'm far too lazy to actually devote myself to anything. LOL. I just wanted right. to like get the fuck out of here. And really, all he wanted was just like a place where he could just like be and find peace right. and not be like." distracted by anything else and be sort of like unburdened be lazy i guess and he actually got the connect with this temple because the abbot was an old friend of his dad's like super smart an intellectual who in his old age dedicated himself to buddhism so think like a professor or a scientist who just like one day has a spiritual awakening and was like i'm not doing this anymore i'm devoting myself to this religion beautiful goodbye city i love that and is now the abbot and is running this temple and when he gets there the abbot is like wait why don't you stay here with us forever mm. not like that where he's like well like i basically want to stay somewhere super peaceful where i can just sort of like dilly dally my way through the rest of my life wow. like i i just that's how i like to exist and i don't i don't want to have any like real responsibilities so like i'd that's why i came here yeah. basically and the abbot's like oh this is not the place then like you're you're at the wrong temple this place is not peaceful right <laughs> like not here like it's basically a revolving wood, carry water type thing well it's like basically just like a revolving door of like tourists and pilgrims oh, who are right always coming through always needing something tour guides supervision just like all kinds of things and they have it's like if you're looking for peace, peaceful people are able to find peace anywhere, even if you're at like the center of the busiest city in the world. The trick is you have to empty yourself. Mm-hmm. And so in this moment, Wei gets an existential lesson. Wei's like, I'm empty. I'm empty enough. What do you mean empty? Like I just left my entire life behind with a backpack and I live in a temple now. Like I'm empty. Compared to a lot of the monks here, I'm less worldly than a lot of them because mm-hmm. I barely even know how to be a human for the most part. But the abbot interrupts him and he's like, you're thinking about it the wrong way. Emptiness isn't nothingness. You're confusing those two things. Mm-hmm emptiness is a continual act emptiness is its whole like state of being like you have to use the emptiness to be what 
fills yourself. It's not the it's not the absence of. It's like preparation for. And he's never had anybody speak to him in this way before. So he's kind of having like galaxy brain in this moment. Um, I mean, I'm big into emptiness. Have you ever done or heard of like the headless way? No. It's like this one school of meditation where, I mean, you start out like basically holding your finger and pointing it at your head in front of you. And you just like look at it. And you point at your own face and then you try to like see what the finger is pointing at okay try it and you realize you actually can't see what the finger is pointing at ever ever yeah so actually there's nothing there and oh because you have to observe it for it to be something right okay so it's like the headless way is like you are moving through the world without a head like you will never be able to see your head Right, because and so what only is I can see yours and only you can see mine and a mirror is not it. It's a facsimile reversed. And so we think that like our consciousness is anchored or tethered and all like contained within our heads, right? Like when I think it's all happening right. up here in my forehead. And, Which like, goes back to like Egypt, like with the like, you know, sort of like deification of like the pineal gland and things like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And like Descartes and whatever. Yeah. Like thinking that like our whole souls or whatever exists just like inside our brains. Mm-hmm. But like, in fact, existence, our lives are being like our consciousness or is being experienced in, you know, all parts of the world and all parts of our bodies. Like where we concentrate on like what's on our most immediate whatever. And like sure. we feel like it's centered in our minds. But like anyways, the headless way and it's all about this emptiness, right? And that like I, the I, who I, the alley does not actually exist and it's like really it's so frustrating because it can be so it can be said so well and then it can be also said and it can be like so intangible and like abstract yeah but i love when you have like i just feel like sometimes you know when i meditate at least like i have those moments where i glimpse the the real like capital e emptiness Mm -hmm. that like this abbot is talking about and it really is like nirvana i mean like if you listen to any like eckhart tolle yeah Right. He's like enlightenment is not a state of being that we work toward. Enlightenment is always available to us. Yeah. And it's like in the present and it is by becoming completely present to the point that our ego stops thinking and speaking and running the show. And you're just one with like what is in the now also obviously ram Dass like gets into this anyways. Mm -hmm. So I just I love I love that like there's any dive into like buddhism at all in this book as well yeah and like i mean admittedly wei cheng is like not a devotee of any religion other than science and mathematics and so having this sort of like little mini ted talk on emptiness from the abbot is kind of like one of the first times where his brain has been made to sort of like think along these lines where like he's really been given like a conundrum where he's like i actually don't have anything but like the clothes on my back and like the things i brought in my rucksack with me like emptiness like what is this guy talking about right and like how like you know there's this boredom which is like nothing right like there's nothing to do i don't want anything i already feel emptiness and then there's true emptiness which is like peace yeah and And they're different yeah so after a while way is sort of like sitting with what the abbot has said to him about emptiness and how it's like sort of this continual state of being and using emptiness to be what fills you and the meaning starts to really set in with him he realizes that the abbot's philosophy on emptiness isn't so much from buddhism 
as it is from modern physics. Cause he's like, wait, I like, I'm thinking about it. And I actually am able to identify things that I know that align with that. Like this intellectual who's now like a religious leader is using his past experience as an intellectual to inform his religious beliefs and teach others in this way this isn't from buddhism this is from science Mm. and his first night at the temple way gets set up in his room and he's like you know looking forward to starting this new empty life that he's got ahead of him and he has a really hard go of it Mm. he's uncomfortable the room is damp from all the fog that's rolling in and it's cold because they're up in the mountains but also at this point i'm like wait what were you expecting the white lotus like right and so to help himself sleep that night he tries to put into practice this idea of like emptying yourself he's like okay empty empty i'm gonna be empty no counting sheep here way in retelling this story is like while i was meditating on this emptiness and trying to like purge myself of all things in preparation for whatever the first thing that came to my mind was the infinity of space Mm -hmm. void of all matter all light everything just pure emptiness think like the vacuum of like the Boates void Mm -hmm. but the only problem is the longer he keeps his mind on this void of space the more he realizes like this place isn't going to bring me peace I'm actually feeling like pretty anxious by how much nothing is in front of me that I'm like aware of even Mm -hmm. though it's in his imagination he's kind of like giving himself an anxiety attack when Wei is doing this he kind of has the realization he's like okay wait a second though I, I imagined this void and that's the thing that's giving me anxiety so why don't I just imagine something else to get rid of the anxiety? Mm -hmm. So to fight off this sort of like existential dread that he's given himself, he creates in this void a sphere. Not too small, not too big, but just right. So he can kind of like focus on it and be like, okay, there's something else here besides nothing but this doesn't help his anxiety so the sphere is now here floating in the middle of this empty void alone not moving unchanging and with nothing else to act upon it it's not like like it's the only thing in existence in this like universe he's created in his mind and he realizes this lonely sphere is like a perfect analogy for death Mm. alone unmoving Mm -hmm. unchanging and with nothing else to act upon it endless so to change this death scenario he's created, okay, he creates a second sphere. Okay, it's equal in size and mass to the first sphere, and they're both completely smooth and fully reflective. So they're showing sort of like distorted, curved mirror images of each other, just sitting side by side in this void. I'm seeing it, but still, this doesn't help him. There's still no movement. There's no life. It's a still like tiny microscopic universe that he's created but his anxiety is building exponentially Mm. and then he thinks about it he's like okay wait how do i how do i get myself out of this and he's like okay if these two spheres just exist here without any initial movement they have the same mass so eventually they'd be pulled together because of their gravity and they would collide and that would be it Right. Death to all of them. If I give them a little push and they revolve around each other instead of colliding, eventually their movement is going to settle into their orbit around each other. But regardless of movement or no movement, eventually their revolutions would stabilize. And once that happens, they would never change again. Mm -hmm. Death to all of them. So to conquer death. Yes. Way produces a third sphere in this universe and to his astonishment everything changes so remember what way sees when he thinks about numbers and shapes yeah well like think about the one and two sphere universe he either sees 
a single equation or a few equations mm -hmm. explaining what would ultimately happen to them. But once this third sphere shows up, the void comes alive. Right. They all move in patterns that seem to never repeat themselves twice. And when he's looking at them, the equations of a three sphere system start raining down in his mind like the green screen in the matrix. Mm. Just math the house down boots mama yes god you know what i mean and before he knows it way is like sleeping like a baby that's like all he needed just enough to sort of like overwhelm all the neurons in his brain right. to take away this anxiety that emptiness. was self-induced <laughs> yeah. and as way sleeps he still keeps dreaming about these patterns like he was so locked into it like maybe it was sort of like a pre-sleep semi-lucid kind of dream state because his thoughts continue over through the night while he's actually asleep mm -hmm. and as he's dreaming of these patterns he notices it's not that the patterns never repeat themselves it's just that they have such a long period that it takes nearly an infinite amount of time before the cycle starts over again mm. and so waking up the next day boy has got it bad the three spheres are all consuming for his thoughts and for the first time in this little lazy brilliant man's mind he's got all his attention focused at once it's like he's got a laser in front of him and he's like this is all that exists i have to do this and write about this and ruminate on this until my brain just can't take it anymore weird but all right and like he becomes so like a beautiful mind sort of like you know like the math gif of like formulas swirling around his head at all times that like the other monks go to the abbot and they're like is he okay like is he having a mental health crisis should we be worried about anything should we call somebody but the abbot's like no there's no crisis. This man has found emptiness. So everybody in the temple is observing this man just becoming obsessed with what, because keep in mind, this like universe that he's created in his mind's eye is like unbeknownst to the rest of them. Right. So they're just like tell? observing him like furiously, like sitting like thinking. the thinking man, just like, and they're like, what's going on with this guy? But for the first time, he's like having sort of like world changing ideas that are actually for the first time in his life, admittedly leading him to some sort of action that's causing him to intentionally make the choice to put forth effort right instead of just being like oh i know the answer he's actually he trying to work out and do doesn't know the answer. brain derivations to figure out not only what the answer is to this problem he's just created in his mind but also figure out okay but how do i get to the answer right what are the numbers that correspond to this configuration yes and so here in the retelling of the story way says to the group he's like the physics behind the three body problem are really very simple it's a math problem. And here is where, for the first time, we get to the three-body problem, like I mentioned earlier, as a part of orbital mechanics. So far, we've obviously been talking about the title of the book series, The Three-Body Problem, the video game, The Three-Body Problem. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, in orbital mechanics, like it very much exists in cosmology. It's this theory that seeks to describe the orbital motion, like we said, of three bodies in space. And from what we know of the game, when there are three flying stars in the sky you know like utter destruction shows up so now you know sort of like this world the game is set in exists somewhere where there are three bodies acting on whatever like planet or plane or like whatever where the actual gameplay is happening so now you know how you know why the game is so named and wang interrupts and he's like wait you arrived at this idea called the three-body problem like didn't you know about Henri Poincaré which we talked about was the scientist who showed that the idea of the three 
three-body problem depends on the initial conditions. Right. And that all in all, the three-body problem can be most easily attributed to chaotic behavior. And Wei is like, no. I mean, I know about him now. He's like, but at the time, I didn't know about him. He is a mathematics master. And I didn't want to be a mathematics master. So I intentionally didn't study any of the works of any of the masters in science and math. But he's like, it doesn't matter, though, because even if I knew about his work, I still would have been obsessed with studying this problem. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that I experienced this phenomena where multiple people arrive at the same idea. Right. And he's like, now that I know what Poincaré says about the three-body problem being chaos, I also know that a lot of people in the scientific and cosmological fields conclude that it can't be solved. But I think they're wrong. What Poincaré showed, he says, is that the three-body problem was extremely sensitive to initial conditions not that it's unsolvable right he's like i think we just need a new algorithm Mm -hmm. in trying to find this new algorithm that way thinks is needed to solve the three body problem he's like what we need to do is formulate an algorithm that uses mathematically random brute force to overcome this precise logic that people have been using to go about this problem up until now let's use quantity to derive quality. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to study a three-body system moment by moment. And every moment, I'll analyze the motion of each of the three bodies Mm -hmm. and categorize them as either healthy and beneficial or detrimental and harmful. Okay. The first two, healthy and beneficial, get basically upvoted and receive a survival advantage. And the last two, detrimental and harmful, are effectively downvoted. Sorry to be speaking in Reddit terms, but mm-hmm. like that's kind of like the best like ranked choice. Like yeah. these are better, these are worse. Okay. So that the final combination that survives is the correct prediction for where the system will head for the next moment. Mm. And Wang is tracking. He's like oh wow this is an evolutionary algorithm i understand these right right like as it moves you gather more information sort of like a self-aware algorithm that right, knows how to rank right, self-informing and, yes and dasha's like Whew, sure i'm glad i called you wang i missed all of that what are you guys <laughs> talking about <laughs> And Wei is like, yeah, Wang, like, you get what I'm saying. Like, the only problem with this kind of algorithm, though, is that our computers don't have anywhere near the computing power needed to game all of this out. Which is crazy. But... He was like, while I was at the temple, and, like, when I first arrived at this idea of the three-body problem, like, I didn't even have a computer or a calculator even i was literally doing this by hand and writing out the long form mathematical formulas on like any piece of paper the other monks could bring me like it was to the point where he was filling up like volumes of journals and otherwise wasting paper but the abbot sees that he's actually living out an application of being in this state of emptiness so he's like give him all the paper he needs like i don't care give him what he needs let him complete this damn i kind of get it yeah consuming huge binary code yeah that is constantly evolving based on what the last motion of each body is i mean i I can see it i can actually like visualize it and how quickly it explodes into like a ridiculous amount of information he's treating basically these three bodies as like living biological entities right and tracking their and tracking their movement and equating it to survival is right. why he says we'll be upvoted with a survival advantage mm-hmm. because if you can predict where they'll be next if it doesn't lead to all three of them two of them Pretty crashing crazy. into each other and obliterating each other then they're still surviving let's treat it in a way that we'll be able to over time 
accurately predict how the system will evolve and continue to quote unquote live as it moves forward. And so as he's at the temple and he's like doing all of this work by hand on paper, obviously not solving it, but just like going through all the paper they can find. Right. Whenever he fills up the front and the back of a sheet, he'll crumple it. He'll toss it into the incense burner so that he's like effectively erasing the whiteboard, starting over. And one day at the temple, this young woman runs into Wei's room. And this was the first time it had ever happened to Wei. Like, never happened in boarding school because nobody really took any notice of him. Had never happened since he had been at the temple. And when she runs in, he notices she's holding in her hand fragments of the burned papers that he had thrown into the incense burner. And she's looking at him and she's like, the monks told me these were yours. Are you studying the three-body problem? Dun, dun, dun. And Wade describes her in that moment as like saying that her eyes were like fires. Like the intensity she had was just like, wait, literally tell me everything. Are you studying this problem? This is like when I run into anyone in the real world who's just simply reading the three-body problem. I'm yeah, like, wait, that. are you reading this? Yeah. <laughs> He's highly intrigued by this woman who's just shown up. Who is she? I mean, it's not like he labeled his pages like Wei Cheng's three body problem scratch work or something. Like she's highly intelligent, clearly, because she's able to read the burned fragments of just straight up mathematical formula from his scratch work and she's able to literally look at it and go like oh, oh i know person. what this guy's working on yeah. yeah so like very much like himself oh my god he's like this woman is devoted to the three-body problem like what is happening right now so there's the love part of eat pray love i think <laughs> we've got a meet cute compared to the oblivious tourists who are just sort of like wandering around the temple snapping photos of their instagram and like the pilgrims who show up looking ragged and poor coming in and out of the temple because they're on journeys for spiritual purposes Mm -hmm. he describes this woman as being very different he was like she looked like an academic right and he later found out she actually is an academic who would come with a group of japanese students to tour the temple Mm. way quickly learns he has met his match with this woman without even really giving him the chance to answer her question of like are you working on the three body problem she was like i can tell you the way you're going about solving this is brilliant she's like we've been looking for a way to turn this problem into a large-scale computational problem and it's like amazing that you're also kind of like organically doing the same thing like my mind is blown basically but way is like kind of like what he just said to wang and company he's like lady even if you combined the computing power of every single computer on the planet it still wouldn't be enough like we've got a problem that technology actually can't even help us with yet right and she's like yeah well of course you would need to work on it in a research environment that was obviously like built to study the problem like i don't expect you to like open up your macbook and solve this thing like you'd need to be in a space that was like dedicated to this work right i can give you that Uh i have access to a lab with a supercomputer Uh leave with me tomorrow morning Uh oh okay tempting and we've talked about it already but like very obviously this woman is now the leader of the frontiers of science shen yufei it's shen yufei Wei describes Shen as unconventionally attractive, like authoritarian, like very direct and to the point. And he like makes a point to say like up until this moment when she just barged in my room with my crumpled notes, like I I went through my entire life being fully unattracted to women across the board. Like I never even thought of women in that way. But in this moment, he's like boing. <laughs> Hard as a rock. So continuing his eat, pray, love journey, how do you think he answers her with this like, leave with me tomorrow? I guess he's like, I'll see you at noon. Yeah. He's like, literally, tell me where. Uh, Like, 
Yes, I'll be there. Yeah. Poppy dog at this point. Okay. That night, again, he can't sleep. He walks out into a courtyard. Yeah. There at the temple. And off in the distance, he can see Shen Yufei kneeling in prayer before the Buddha. And he walks over to her, like being really careful not to make any noise. And he hears her whispering a prayer. And she's saying, Buddha, please help my Lord break away from the sea of misery. And Wei's like standing there, like scratching his head. And he's like, I don't think I heard that right. But then again, he hears Shen whisper, Buddha, please help my Lord break away from the sea of misery. And Wei admittedly is not a follower of Buddhism, so he doesn't understand the real, he like knows enough about it by being in proximity, but like doesn't understand the religion. So he just fully interrupts her prayer and he's like, what do you mean? Like, what are you doing? And she ignores him. Mm. She stays in her prayer stance and after a long while, she finally unclasps her hands, opens her eyes without even so much as looking at Wei and says, go to sleep. We have an early day tomorrow. And Wei is like, this Lord you're praying for, is he part of Buddhism? And Shen's like, no, like leaving no room for discussion. And Wei's like, so like walk me through, like what are you doing? Like explain to me. Shen stands up, says nothing, and leaves, giving Wei zero chance for follow-up questions, which like obviously like how many times so far, like when she's talked to Wang on the phone, she's very like, I'm not entertaining this conversation because I didn't start it. Say whatever you want, but like I'm, I'm not answering your questions. Damn. Every time Wei repeats this prayer to himself, Buddha, please help my Lord break away from the sea of misery. It just gets weirder and weirder. He's like, what the fuck did she mean by that? Yeah. And eventually he gets to a point where it like actually scares him. So he runs over to see the abbot because he's like, I've never heard anything like this in my life. And so he's like, uh knocks on the door he's like abbot um you a minute can you tell me something what does it mean if somebody is praying to buddha to get help for another lord and the abbot is like mm, leave me alone for a little while i have to think about this i'm gonna have to get back to you so he turns and he walks outside of his office and he just knows his suspicions about this prayer being unusual or true but he's just like waiting for confirmation from the abbot the abbot is like already established to be a very smart man intellectually and he obviously knew buddhism inside and out because he's the abbot he shouldn't have had to think about it he should have just like been able to give a quick like no it's not strange or yeah i've never heard of that before kind of answer and in about as long as it took for way to smoke a cigarette outside the abbot comes outside to join him with an answer and he says way i think there's only one possibility and so Wei's like okay abbot like i'm on pins and needles here want to just tell me what it is could it really be possible that there's a religion that needs worshipers of other religions to all go and pray to their respective gods so it can be saved right. and the abbot gives way his answer and it stuns him mere hours before he's set to leave the temple with this woman who he's just met to go study the three-body problem the abbot tells way the only possibility is that her lord really exists. Okay, Brett. Does that give you any sense of like, oh my fuck? Yeah, I was like, what the hell, Abbot of Buddhism? Her lord really exists. Her lord really exists? Are you telling me like that whoever? your lord doesn't really exist? That there is no buddha or that like there's some kind of hierarchy of like lesser gods that do need the help of greater gods or gods with more followers yeah so it's very like greek to yeah. me in that way bizarre yeah and wei chang i think is equally confused by this response from the abbot being I mean, like, rightfully yeah 
my conclusion is that her lord must really exist. Yeah. And Wei Chang asks the same question that we are asking. So does the Buddha not really exist? Yeah. The abbot is like... I can't talk to you about whether the Buddha exists or not. For you, will not fully comprehend. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things you understand, but Buddha consciousness is not going to be one of them. Got it. Which I kind of understand. Yeah. He's a math guy. But he says, so, so the abbot, he's, he's basically just saving his breath. And he says, you know, the Buddha is something that you will not comprehend. But the Lord that she believes in is something that you can comprehend. Okay. And he's like, I can say no more regarding either matter. I can simply counsel you to leave this woman immediately. Whoa. And what? Yeah. And Wei Chang is like, lol. Like, you're not going to explain anything to me. But also, he's like, I'm sprung for this woman. So, oh, like, totally. no, I'm going to follow her wherever. Wei Chang is like, wait, why? Like, what are you not saying? Say something. And the abbot is just like, it's just a feeling that behind this woman are things that neither you or I can imagine Ooh. or believe. And it's very like something evil this way comes. Yikes. You know? So hearing the sound advice of the abbot the next day, what does Wei Ching do? He leaves with her. He leaves with her. <laughs> of course. I <laughs> leaves with Chen Yufei. He's like, well, I can't spend the rest of my life in this abbey, in this Buddhist yeah, temple. Yeah, he literally just came for a getaway. Yeah. He's like, I'm out. Wei Ching hops on the fucking coach bus with Chen Yufei. <laughs> I'm picturing him and all the other Japanese tourists. Yeah. Well, they're not tourists, but they're students, but they're yeah. touring. Anyways, Wei Chang knows that Shen Yufei is very rich, but he doesn't know how. Okay. Just as she promises, she gives him everything she says he's going to give him. Supercomputer and all. Supercomputer, the mini computer. Sick. The medium computer, the big computer. Yeah. Microcomputer. The microcomputer. Like all the, things. the laptops. iPhone 14. iPad. I watch totally decks him out damn okay in gear sugar mama yeah don't forget wei cheng is telling all of this is recounting all of this to wang miao and da shi and shu bingbing right in da shi's office so wei cheng continues you know what i was taken care of i mean all i had to do was devote myself to the study of the three body problem and our life was great i mean it was all we talked about we never talked about Kind of like us. Yeah. <laughs> I get the all-consuming part. I understand that. I mean, you do buy me gifts. <laughs> but yeah, it's all he talked about. He's like, we didn't talk about each other's histories. I didn't really know much else about her. Didn't but we care. lived a beautiful life. You know, he said Shen probably wouldn't even care if I brought home another woman. All she cared about was my research. Very sapiosexual in yeah. that way. Got it. Hot. Uh, and Da Shi is like, all right, well, do you know what else she's been up to? Mm -hmm. He says, well, I know, you know, frontiers of science, but she never asked me to join. She kind of knows I, I'd really have no interest. You know, she says I'm an indolent man. And anyway, being a part of such an organization would take me away from my research, which right. is the whole reason she married me is so that I could focus on my research. It's like getting a private grant. Yeah. That drops in your lap without any of the paperwork or application essays. Exactly. or I mean, what a dream and it for makes him, sense. I'm sure. It makes sense that he has no interest in the frontage of science. He's lazy and yeah. like he doesn't want to talk philosophy. He just wants to fucking, you know, do nothing. Yeah. And obviously do the one thing that he's been commissioned essentially to do by his wife. Yeah. For the rest of his life. Happy wife, happy life. Yep. <laughs> and Wang is like, okay, well, how's the three body problem research going? You know, any progress? 
And Wei Chang is like, yeah, well, actually, I mean, there were these guys who were able to figure out a few stable configurations that are predictable given initial circumstances, you know, three or four configurations that we can... That's all. That's all. Got it. But those were these two guys. He says, my evolutionary algorithm has been able to figure out hundreds of stable, predictable configurations. Oh, wow. He says, you could fill a whole postmodern gallery with my findings. Wow. Yeah. But... The real solution to the three-body problem is to build a mathematical model, an algorithm, right? Uh-huh. That, I can, that you can plug into any initial circumstances with known vectors and predict all subsequent motion of the three-body system. Okay. This is also what Shen Yufei craves. So it's like still really haven't found yeah. that formula. Very much the pursuit still. Yes. And then he says, but my peaceful life of comfort ended yesterday oh god a man called and told me that if i didn't cease my work immediately i would be killed okay everyone's like who who called yeah he's like i don't know dasha is like all right okay why did you tell me this whole fucking backstory just to tell me that someone called you yesterday and told you to do your you know to stop doing your work sure yeah so he's wait. like i told you don't get upset that i'm long-winded you told me to start at the beginning <laughs> but wei Chang is like wait listen last night in the middle of the night i wake up and my wife is holding a gun to my head what saying i must continue to do my research or she'll kill me okay what's her deal because the last time she was making threats it was like to wang like you better stop or you're going to be tormented by this countdown literally until it drives you nuts you know i thought about that but like gun to her husband's head like, like you better not stop. fucking stop right what's it with is her pretty interesting and I mean, I do have some thoughts. And, and there was a part of me that was like, maybe she wasn't like so threatening to Wang, but she was like, if you want it to stop, then stop everything, basically. Like she, she was Yeah, but that's dismissive. very like mob-like, right? Totally. Where it's like the power's in your hands. If you want it to stop, you know yeah. how to make it stop. It's and just thinking us. about thinking about like the different kinds of research that they were doing, right? Like Wang right. is yeah, doing true. this applied research that has nothing to do with the three-body problem. True. He's like working on nanomaterials and the other is orbital mechanics. Right. But like still, why would she have such like she's got vested an agenda, opinions in either of them? Yeah. yeah. Who owns Shen Yufei? Who that's what I want to know. Who's funding Shen Yufei? Where does because Wang said something is? about that also. He pointed to this massive McMansion and he's like, Where the fuck does she get this money to do this? I know. I wonder if we'll find out. Well, he wakes up, Shen Yufei's got a gun to his head saying, You better not fucking stop working on your research or I'll fucking kill you. You know what? And this also made me think. I was like, I wonder if Shen Yufei, as a player in the three mm-hmm. body problem, is like King Zhao of. Like, I just never oh, thought yeah, of like that before. Oh, yeah, like maybe like one of the maniacal kind yeah. of people. Yeah. Not no. Right? Just a, just a fun little theory that I had. She's like, if you succeed in solving the three body problem, you will be the savior of the world. Whoa. But if you stop, you will be responsible for the end of the human race. God. Twofold. Dasha's like, that's weird. Twofold? Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah, how do you end the human race twice? Yeah. Dasha's confused. So he's like, let me let me ask you a different question. <laughs> yeah. Enough of this. Yeah. I'm bored. He goes, did the gun smell like it was real? Did it, did it smell kind of like that oil? Like, was it a sex prop or something? Yeah. Like- Wei Shang is like, no, what? He's like, did you smell the gun? Did it smell real? <laughs> No, I didn't smell the gun. He's like, yeah, I mean, it smelled like a gun. He's, you know, I guess guns have a smell. I could Maybe, see that. Yeah. Gunpowder, 
like maybe some type of grease. I don't well, like the parts have to be oiled. So yeah, like the exactly. oil would have a smell. That's what yeah. really, he, yeah. He's like, yeah, no, it definitely was a real gun. Dasha's like, great. Suspected illegal possession of a firearm will justify a search. We'll bring we her in. That's right. Got it. Dasha looks at Shu Bing Bing and is like, let's go. So Dasha, Shu Bing Bing, and Wei Cheng and Wang all head to Shen Yufei's house. And on the way there, Wang is sitting next to Shu Bing Bing. And Shu is like, you know, your reputation on three body is quite high. She plays? She Well, he's like, wait, you play? Yeah. And she's like, I monitor. I, I monitor it. I track it, you know, for research, for, for Dashu. And he's like, well, what do you know about it? Like, can you tell me its background? Yeah. She says, there isn't much we know. I mean, we know it's not operated for profit. We know the firewall is super secure and hard to penetrate. We know it's located outside of the country. Okay. And that there's just an unusual amount of information stored within it. And it doesn't even really seem like a game because a game would have a lot less information stored within it. You know, like a game might have, let's say, like the average game, I don't know how many like gigabytes, Couple gigabytes of, of information. Yeah. Maybe this has like hundreds of terabytes, you know, like, it feels like a CIA thing. operation or something. Yeah. Like what is all what? this information? Wings like, have you noticed any like weird coincidences, like supernatural signs? Uh-huh. 1111. He doesn't yeah, right. That, but because like he's just finding it very weird that the night he solves the game. Mm-hmm. He's called in to discuss the game right. with Wei Chang. Yeah, a little too like much of a coincidence. Yeah. So he's like, it's just weird. Something's off about yeah. that. Shu Bing Bing is like, um, not really. <laughs> Notice anything weirdly coincidental, but people all over the world participate in this game's development. She's like, it's sort of kind of open source using some advanced development tools. She's like, as for content, who knows where it's coming from, but it does seem a bit supernatural, as you said. But Shu Bing Bing says, never forget Dasha's famous rule. Oh, right. All this must be the work of the people. We'll have results soon. Yeah. And with that wang is like what the fuck <laughs> he's like since when is dasha's rule famous yeah right he's like this woman's not a very good liar he just feels like this woman is fully not telling him the truth now yeah because like just the way she's like never forget his famous rule and so like, he's like you're not living on to something and he was like i've heard dasha's rule and it's a shitty rule it's a shitty rule it yeah. all must be the work of somebody yeah we'll find results soon wings like all right she's full of shit whatever like let's just sit in silence for the rest of this ride and right. finally they arrive at shen yufei's house and when they get there sun hasn't even risen yet still okay. like, pretty much dark out and through the window wang sees a light on and as wang gets out of the car he hears a noise coming from upstairs in the house like and it kind of sounds like someone slapping against the wall. Okay. Dasha goes into very high alert. He, you know, takes out his gun, kicks open the yard gate and rushes into the house with his colleagues close behind him. And immediately upon opening the door, their shoes splash into a pool of blood. No. With Shen Yufei laying oozing blood, two bullet wounds in her chest and one through her brow. What? A bloody mess. The officers are rushing to the scene and rushing out and suddenly a black Volkswagen Santana just like zooms by with a man driving in the front seat but it goes so qu- fast. Everything happens so quickly that like they're not even able to like get the license plate. Fuck. And Dasha is like block off all entrances to Fifth Ring Avenue. Like he might actually get away. We've got to like include whatever. You know it's like full, yeah. Yeah, full blown police like shut down the city. Yep. SVU mode 
activated. Exactly. Uh -huh. There are some bullet holes in the wall where whoever killed Shen Yufei missed. And Dasha is like, look, looks to Wei Chang and is like, you don't really seem bothered by all this. You know, this is your wife who just died. Right. And when Wei Chang is like, what can I do? Even now, I don't know anything about her. And it's like, we literally bonded over this one thing. He's like, I think of what the abbot told me that night, you know, stay away from this woman. But eh. He like, you know, just he isn't one to care that much. He's like, but I am curious. He's very Do I get to keep the house? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay. Can That's I have why her I'm kind of like, this character is so bizarre to me. Yeah. Because I'm like, is he like a just a flat character? Or is like truly like he just like this is just who he is. He, yeah. I feel like probably more that. He's just associated so hard. Well, like, I mean, you know, like maybe yeah, you're right. Maybe so intellectually inclined. I mean, like, admittedly. That he's emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, like until he met Shen Yufei, like he didn't actually know how to connect with other people on like a person yeah, level right. just because he's so he doesn't feel much like more highly capable he feels like anyway intellectually than the people around him like he notices from like boarding school he's like I'm different than all of these people right. so Some it's like just... fundamentally hard for him to connect with people it'll be interesting to see who is casted as him then, and wait, how actually. they portray him because I'd like to see that leaned into that character well Dasha takes out a cigarette and lights it. Of course. Obligatory. And he says, I think you still have some things you haven't told us, buddy. Mm -hmm. Way is like, some things I am too lazy to talk about. What? <laughs> Again, I'm just like, oh my God. But you know what? It sounds like Wei Zhang is just on the spectrum and it is what it is. Dasha is like, well, He's you better... his own little planet, just like orbiting his own little universe. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the only way it makes sense. One of one. Yeah. Dasha is like, well, you better find the energy to talk about it uh, right now. Yeah. So Wei chugs a Red Bull and is like, Lissai. He's like, well, okay. Yeah. Yesterday afternoon, Shen Yufei was arguing with Pan Han. In the living room. Okay. Now remind us who Pan Han is. Pan Han was, remember the night that Wang went to see Shen Yufei at her house the first time. The yeah. night he found her in the V-suit and all that stuff. Right. When he's getting ready to, to leave. leave, she gets him in the car. But before she tells the driver to take him back home, this other car pulls up. And Pan Han, who is like one of the most, if not the most notable, well-known member of the Frontiers of Science. Right. He's shows an environmentalist up. as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they have a uh, conversation in front of her front door and they're kind of like, I wouldn't say it's all out unfriendly, but it's like pretty prickly. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of like a, like a test of two wills in that moment where he says something to the effect of like, do not force our hand or something right, like that. Right. And Wang overhears that and he's kind of like kind uh. of freaked out by that interaction. He's like, driver, can we go? Can we go? And finally, after that conversation, she's like, okay, take him, take yeah. him. Almost like she wanted him to see that interaction damn okay thank you for that reminder yeah. Wei Chang is like yep yeah, well yesterday afternoon she was arguing with Pan Han in the living room and they had argued before but it was always in Japanese so I never understood but this time they argued in Chinese and I did overhear a few bits okay Pan Han was like though we may seem like fellow travelers on the surface Shen Yufei we have 
irreconcilable differences. Okay. And Shen was like, yes, well, you're trying to use the Lord's power to destroy the human race, and I am trying to save it. Excuse me? Right? Pan Han is now like... we've got a holy war coming? Like, it's not enough. We're, like, yeah. trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with this VR game, but, like, now there's this, like, supernatural holy war happening? Right. Okay. Pan Han is like, no, we want our Lord to come into this world to punish those who have long deserved it. Okay. However, you are working actively to prevent our Lord's coming. And if you won't stop, I'll make you stop. God, okay. Shen is like, the commander was blind to allow you to join the organization. And Pan Han is like, do you think commander sides with the Adventists or the Redemptionists? And it's like, we have no idea what these words mean. But there's two factions. But there's two factions. Okay. But he goes, does the commander want humanity eliminated or saved? Which I guess will give you an idea of what the One two factions the are. Yeah, okay. And, and Wei is like, and that's all I heard. And Dasha is like, well, did the man who threatened you on the phone sound like Pan Han? He's like, I couldn't tell. More policemen arrive. Gloves, cameras, you know. The house is now humming with activity. Like, yep. It's a fucking crime scene. Dasha sends Wang outside to get some rest. But on his way out, Wang walks into the room with the mini computer. And he finds Wei and is like, hey, I know your wife was just murdered and all. Yeah. But would you mind giving me an outline of the three-body problem evolutionary algorithm? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I mean, hey. He's like, I want to introduce it to some people. If you can't, no worries. I know it's like a tight ask and your wife just died. You're kind of going through a lot, but... God, and okay. Wei Jiang is like, no problem here. <laughs> Wei Jiang takes out a CD and gives it to Wang. And he's like, it's all on here. The whole model, additional documents. Do me a favor, though. Publish it under your name. It'd be a really big help. Huh. And Wang is like, no, no, no. How could I? I didn't do any of the work. Wei's like, Wang, you're a good guy. Stay away from this if you can. Oh, no. He's like, your world is about to change. Everyone should try to live out the rest of their lives in peace if they can. He's like, don't worry about any other shit. It's all useless anyway. And Wang is like, you know more than you're letting on then. Yeah, clearly. And Wei Chang is like, I spent every day with her. It's impossible to have no inkling. So Wang's like, well, why not tell the police? Yeah. And Wei smiles and he goes, A cab, bro. <laughs> no, he smiles and he says, even if God were here, it wouldn't do any good. The human race has reached a point where no one is listening to its prayers. Oh, God. Wei and Wang, they look out over the light rising. The sun is rising over the horizon, and it kind of looks like the logon screen of Three Body. Okay. Wei Cheng says, in reality, I'm not so detached. I haven't even been able to sleep the last few nights at all. Oh. When the sun rises in the morning, it feels like night is falling. And it's all because the Lord that she talked about can't even protect himself anymore. And that... That's not the end. Is the end... No. ...of the chapter. My jaw is on the floor. I'm like, right. her Lord can't even protect himself anymore. I know. And I know it's sounding like crazy and like you guys might be like oh god is this like a cult thing and like is there like the, a religious thing there is a lot i mean seemingly right now anyway like within the frontiers of science there's like some form of like religious Fervor. fundamentalism right. that's like rising up in these two factions so like but like is this taking like like i just i having now read the chapter a second time mm -hmm. i'm understanding way more 
deeply. Yeah. So should I share my beliefs or? I would say as much as you want to spoil it, don't just yet. Okay. Because when next week we log back into, I mean, we're diving right back into the game next week with Newton, with Von Neumann, with Tri-Solar Syzygy. Like, I think we should just maybe let that part of the game unfold just a little bit before you spoil it, because I I get exactly why you would want to. It's like on the tip of my tongue. I'm like having to bite so hard just to like keep it from flying out of my mouth, but I think it's worth the wait. There's something really satisfying about edging out those details and like the slow burn of it all because once those pieces finally fall into place and you step back away from the dot matrix to reveal the photograph that's printed in the newspaper to full circle back it is so satisfying all right okay so i'm I'm not gonna say anything but you guys have a lot of pieces so curious what your theories are at this point in the book if you're not sure you're scared you're like oh man is this going downhill no hang on We promise we will be putting all of the pieces together with you, for you, and next week we're logging back on to Chapter 17. R.I.P. Shen Yufei. R.I.P. Shen Yufei. Gone too soon. She was scary, but still gone Gone too soon. Gone too soon. Yeah, yeah. Cold, but driven. She had a mission, and it sounded like it was to protect humanity (laughs) um, and figure out the three-body problem, but... I'm still like, is this game sort of like an op or something to either like spread disinformation or like intentionally sow the seeds of like i don't know like existential horror or dread or something to try and like upset like the world balance of power or something i'm like i i still i feel like i want to understand that most out of everything and then obviously everything else comes tangentially with that but like i want to just know like what the fuck is going on with this game right first well You'll have to wait. Well, and also next week when we start the game back, we're automatically in level two. I know. I'm so advanced at this point. Finally. He stopped being a loser and he actually like advanced. It's going to be so fun. Yeah. Level two, baby. Well, until then, can't wait to log back on with y'all. Watch out for killer bees. It was a wasp, not a bee. (laughs) Don't confuse bees and wasps. No. Brett will come for you. Be safe. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at RadarPeakPod. See you there.